Hello, everybody. This is Randall Rothenberg. I'm the CEO of the IAB. And if you're here, that's because you want to be real on IAB Real. I'm here with my co-host, David Cohen, the president of the IAB. And we're going to get real on some of the issues that have been affecting the digital marketing, media, and advertising industries this week. Hello, David. How are you? I am fantastic, Randall. Nice to be here. Good to have you, of course. Uh, in fact, it seems like we're always having each other because we are on a parade of Zoom calls that seem endless. How do you get away from the Zoom infusion in your brain these days? Oh, that's a great one. Uh, I find myself, I just did actually, right before this, I walked outside into my backyard and it is absolutely glorious out. So just taking some breaks, I find uh, is particularly helpful. I said to myself, I was going to try to do less Zooms and more actually just old fashioned calls. And that hasn't actually translated. So uh, lots of Zooms, one after the other, but a couple of nice, especially when it's nice out, just taking a walk uh, is just a, a great way to, uh, to unplug for a moment. You've so. just reminded me that one of the places I have not been to in quite a while, and this is peak moment, is also one of my favorite parts of New York City, and that's Conservatory Garden in, uh, in Central Park. And this is the peak of the rose bloom, so I may try and wander out there later today or tomorrow. You know, as, as a total non sequitur to what we're talking about here, I have been meaning to ask you, I, I, had, I was into photography for uh, a brief moment and uh, my, my daughter, youngest daughter was into it as well. I do, maybe not at the moment, I'd like to hear what your, your gear uh, is because your, the pictures that I have seen you post of, your, of the birds are absolutely extraordinary. And I'm wondering yeah. what what you use. It, it is one of my passions is, uh, is bird photography and underwater photography is another yeah, that's, one. That's um, even more spectacular, but that's I, well beyond my, my pay we can, go, we can go into detail on it at another point, but just as a, you know, uh, an overview um, for the birds and for under, for all my nature uh, work, I use um, an Olympus uh, OMD uh, EM1, either a Mark one or a Mark two. For the birds, I'm using a 300 millimeter um, pro lens with, a, uh, with an extender. So basically it gives me a lot of reach, but I can still handhold it. Yeah. Um, I also do uh, a lot of studio work and work with models. And for that, more often than not, I tend to use a, uh, a Nikon uh, system. Um, I can go deep into the weeds on all this. Oh yeah, we have to probably reserve a whole session for that maybe. I, I'd geek out on that. I love yeah. all that stuff. Speaking of geeking out, <laughs> let's talk the about segue. Perfect. Let us talk about television. And in fact, uh, the initiative that we at the IEB are calling Tela slash slash, actually Tela colon slash slash vision about the yep. future of television. You uh, have been working for a couple months now, and this week launched the first of a number of workshops we're doing on the future of television. What did you learn? What, what, what's and what's next on the agenda? So for those who are not um, enlightened to what television is, it's uh, really, it, it aims to do two things. No, number one, um, uh, highlight and educate the marketplace on existing uh, activities in the uh, video ecosystem. Uh, one thing that we have learned is that there are, there's a lot of stuff 
happening out there and there's not great visibility. So that's kind of uh, number one. And there's probably, not probably, there are things that we can learn from all those activities, best practices, what not to do, uh, that we should apply to uh, efforts moving forward. That's number one. And then number two is uh, there's also areas of white space that we're not spending enough time on uh, that still are friction points for uh, the ecosystem. And we should probably put some, um, some effort into, into solving those. Um, so for this first meeting, which was our leadership kind of kickoff, we highlighted four initiatives, um, in particular, a WFA cross-media measurement, a GARM, uh, OpenAP, and CCPA. And we had um, a whole host of really good uh, speakers come in and talk about that. Now, let, uh, me, let me interrupt you, because there's a lot of acronyms in there. So, so uh, uh, what, what, is, what is CCPA, for example? Uh, it's, the, uh, it's the California Consumer Privacy uh, Law that went into effect last year. Uh, GARM, yes, GARM is GARM is the uh, Global Alliance for Responsible Media. It's focused on um, brand safety uh, primarily, and was also uh, launched last year. Uh, OpenAP is a consortium of several uh, publishers to basically aid in the execution of um, custom audience targeting across uh, multiple partners: NBCU, Fox, Viacom, CBS, uh, and they're adding others. Um, uh, they just added uh, Weather Channel and AMC, I believe, to that uh, roster as well. And WFA is a, a global uh, trade body uh, that launched a cross-media measurement initiative, global in nature, but could be actioned or customized um, locally. So that's the, that's the acronym soup. I appreciate the, uh, the push there. A couple of just data points coming out of that meeting, which, which I found interesting of, and we had a really senior group, uh, really nice kind of mix of, uh, you know, digital leaders, uh, you know, traditional kind of video leaders, agencies, brands, fully 50% of the attendees were not aware of all those initiatives. Right. So right off the bat, it was validating that there was a need for what it is that we were doing. Uh, and 93% of them said that there was a need for ongoing connectivity of activities like this. So that right, right off the uh, right out of the gate, we, we saw that we were doing something that the market was, uh, was looking for. Um, so that was great. Next up, we're going through a series of fast succession meetings in different um, topic areas. So the next one is uh, automation. Uh, we hear all the time that the, the market is still uh, highly complex, lots of manual activities, billing and reconciliation still a pain point. So we're going to get a couple of folks together to talk about what are we doing in the automation space. So we have JT Batson from Hudson MX. Uh, we have Manu Waraku from uh, Media Ocean. We're working on someone from Extreme Reach. So that's all coming together quite nicely. That's on June 17th. And then we have measurement, terms and conditions, and marketplace uh, dynamics. This is probably more of an answer that you were planning on, but one last thing I'll say. Um, is that the white space that the, that the attendees identified was still measurement, believe it or not. We've been talking about measurement for time immemorial. Uh, and the greatest challenge in the video ecosystem was uh, understanding unduplicated reach and frequency, which mm -hmm. is still a kind of vexing uh, challenge. But it was a, it was a great kickoff. It, it seems to me, I was going to actually ask you kind of a falsely naive question, but I'm not going to do that. Instead, of, I'm going to make a statement. It, it, it seems to me that those two issues, measurement on the one hand and, um, and unduplicated reach and frequency on the other hand, 
are, are different from each other in one major respect. I've always thought that, that measurement is fundamentally about coming to a political agreement, that there's no such thing as a perfect measurement system. Um, you know, even the, uh, the atomic clock in Fort Collins, Colorado, uh, which is, you know, how we actually base the time system in the United States. I mean, it's not perfect, but it's pretty dang good. Um, but fundamentally, you have to agree on this is the length of an inch. Some point along the way, people agreed somewhere that an inch is going to be this long and a mile is going to be this long. And let's just get rid of all the, you know, the obsessive, obsessiveness about how can we get even more perfect with that. Let's just reach agreement so we can do business with each other. And the problem on measurement is there are too many actors with too much skin in the game that skin in the game can often be in conflict between buyers and sellers. So it's been difficult to reach those political agreements. Reach and frequency strikes me as a technical uh, uh, problem, that it's really hard, like just technically hard to try and look at a universe of people across, say, a social media platform, uh, an online publishing platform, a print magazine, uh, a television audience and take out the duplications. So you can actually get an understanding of, of how much reach and how much frequency did you get across these audiences. So that seems to me to be less of a political agreement and much more of a technical uh, problem to solve. Is that right? I think that that is a, uh, a very astute uh, observation and I appreciate you keeping it real and not asking a naive uh, question. Um, I think that that's right. I think that you know we tend to uh, we tend to look at kind of perfect as the enemy of progress and uh, measurement has kind of been that. It's kind of like we don't, uh, I, I think about things like NBCU and Seaflight uh, in a similar vein. It's not perfect, it's not nirvana, but it is an agreement of two parties that we are gonna use the following sources of truth for different parts of the, of the ecosystem. And, and there's agreement and you move forward. Uh, in the measurement space, as you said, lots of people with lots of agendas, lots of, uh, folks to, uh, to gain uh, alignment on. The reach and frequency problem, as, as you said, if you could just imagine a perfect uh, graph or grid of all the touch points that Randall Rothenberg or David Cohen has with media throughout the day, it's almost impossible to keep track of that. And it's a combination of panel-based methodology and census-based methodology, which has to kind of be fused together. And there's lots of really smart people that are working on that, but we haven't it's a technical issue. We haven't crafted the, the perfect solution there. The person I, I wish was still around, I had the pleasure of getting to know late in his life, Frank Stanton, who mm -hmm. along with uh, Bill Paley, basically created modern broadcasting. Uh, you know, he was the co-founder of, uh, of CBS for decades and decades. And uh, Frank Stanton was among other things, uh, one of the first uh, communications PhDs in the United States um, and invented modern media measurement. The uh, Stanton Lazarsfeld program analyzer was the precursor of the Nielsen meter going back to the 1930s. Um, and he was, he was great to talk to. He was an extraordinarily serious uh, uh, man, researcher, uh, civic leader. And I would love to be able to go back and ask him, how was it, how did it happen that we ended up reaching agreement around these measurement systems? Like, how is it that Nielsen became dominant? 
How is it that Arbitron became dominant in radio? And are there any lessons that we can learn from that period that potentially we could apply to this period where we have so many competing technologies, so many competing points of view, um, so many you know, different analyses of uh, whether this is a zero sum game where there's gonna be a winner and a loser or whether everybody can win together. So I am really, I, I, of course I can't do that, Frank passed a number of years ago, but, but I think that's the challenge that lies ahead of us is to try and figure our way through this morass of competing claims and just see if we can reach political agreement and move forward. Yeah, my version of that story, and I'll, get, I'll keep it to a minute or less, uh, there was a gentleman by the name of Bob Cohen, C-O-E-N, no relation sure. to me, who uh, worked at UM when I was there, and he was a fascinating guy. He had worked at, at the same place for 75 years or something like that. He would come into the office every day. He never used a computer. He would have a pad and a pencil, and he would kind of, every year it was the Bob Cohen kind of view on kind of where media spend was going, and he also witnessed kind of the rise of Arbitron and, uh, and Nielsen, and he would, he would really give me some really good stories. But uh, Bob Cohen, uh, may he rest in peace. Yeah. So I want to ask you, you have another town hall coming up this week called Prove It to Move It, Making the Case for Connected TV. Is that part of our television initiative or is that something separate from it? Uh, it is. Uh, you know, television is, uh, is a kind of broad umbrella for uh, both the activities that we were talking about before and an acknowledgement that uh, the video ecosystem is changing markedly. Uh, we've seen over the past, well, certainly over the past several years, it's been moving uh, quite nicely, but uh, it's been acute over the past, let's say, three months, uh, streaming OTT and connected television absolutely becoming um, kind of the de facto uh, resource for all of us to consume entertainment, to uh, consume news. So um, we're kind of under this umbrella of television. We have a series of, uh, of activities. This one that we have this week um, is focused on kind of the, the movement of consumers to the connected television space and uh, advertisers and marketers not moving um, nearly as quickly and, and kind of understanding what are the barriers to that movement. Uh, it's not dissimilar to what we just talked about before, kind of proving incrementality. You know, a media planner is always thinking through uh, if I do less of something and more of something else, what are the trade-offs that I have in terms of delivering on that, uh, on that plan? Uh, so we're going to kind of tackle those one by one and kind of debunk uh, some perceptions, uh, and we have, uh, I think we have over 500 people that have RSVP'd for that. So uh, it's a hot topic, and as you know, Randall, we're, we're heading towards the new fronts in, uh, in about a week and a half, which is kind of the de facto um, kind of outlet for uh, streamers to kind of show their wares, uh, content technology and consumer insights. So um, this is a drumbeat that I think will be going on for quite some time. Yeah, actually, the new fronts are, are, are kind of astonishing this year. I mean, there was some question uh, whether we would be able to continue in a virtual environment. And we made the decision back in March that we were going to uh, forge ahead. Uh, but we were going to be very, very attuned to, uh, to our member publishers who are presenting, the, uh, the buyers from the agencies and the brands. And we'd really, you know, if we needed to pull the plug, we would. Uh, we hoped we wouldn't have to. And lo and behold, when last I looked, we're up to close to six almost six thousand, yeah, six thousand attendees, and I think we're expecting now between seven and ten thousand. Yeah, that is the expectation. I was actually just talking to someone before this, um, you know, just putting in perspective the things that bounded us 
in years past were just the, the physical size of the room. Like how big could we do it in Madison Square Garden or how big was uh, Radio City? Uh, and now we have, it's limitless. Uh, there is, uh, there's no bounds to the number of people that can participate. And we have more presenters now than ever before because there is no kind of, we don't have to have any time buffers from getting from place to place. So it's, uh, it's been kind of extraordinary. I was reminded of that kind of go, no go conversations we had back. Do you remember we were saying if we had like, maybe if we had six presenters, we would continue on. And yes. I think we have close to 30. I mean, I think it's, uh, it's absolutely extraordinary what has happened. So um, it's, been, uh, it's been amazing to see. Let me ask you a question, if sure. you don't mind. Uh, so we have been doing um, these kind of weekly uh, gatherings of chief revenue officers um, and agency leaders. Um, I think that we're up to like maybe uh, six plus on the agency side and CROs more than that. Uh, and we decided last Friday that wouldn't it be interesting to bring those two groups together? Uh, so we had um, just over 70 industry leaders that showed up, um, lots of, I'd say over $70 billion of authority uh, on that phone. Um, there was an interesting tone of that call. Can you describe what your takeaway was from it? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, it was not heartening, I, I have to say. I mean, over the course of quarantine, you know, we've been doing uh, thumb polls, and then we learned how to use the actual uh, uh, survey and polling function on Zoom, which, uh, you know, gave us even more granularity. But those thumb polls and those actual polls had uh, showed us uh, increasingly that um, growing, uh, I guess the word is sanguinity, uh, uh, about the, uh, the progress of the marketplace. You know, for, uh, it looked like we had really bottomed out in uh, in April, and there was gradually returning optimism among both the buyers and the sellers um, that uh, things weren't returning to any kind of normal, and the year is going to be down regardless. But they were beginning to see more activity, and we brought everybody. That's why we wanted to bring everybody together uh, this week, and I found the tone um, much more subdued and actually negative. I saw some backsliding. Um, and my perception based on the conversation was that, uh, I'm going to get political here too, uh, uh, President Trump basically re-shut down the economy. Um, that the uh, George Floyd's murder in, uh, by a police officer in Minneapolis, you know, setting off a wave of protests, the likes of which we have not seen. In, in decades in the United States caused a lot of marketers to start rethinking their plans. They, they, were, they were honestly thinking, you know, it, it could look thoughtless of us, insensitive uh, to advertise in the, in the middle of this. And that seemed, you know, appropriate sensitivity. But then uh, President Trump threw, uh, threw oil on the flames by, uh, by tear gassing uh, demonstrators in Washington, by threatening to send in military troops to cities. And I think that was what started having the biggest impact. And so we started hearing from, and we were hearing on that call from the, uh, the publisher CROs and the agency uh, buying leaders alike that these pauses in spending that they had implemented um, in sensitivity to uh, the protest looked like they may go on longer because it was now becoming, uh, again, overly politicized, uh, and this time from the White House. I mean, I don't know if you walked away with the same perception, 
Um, what do you think we were? Yeah, hearing? it was a, it was a. I think that that was right. I think there was probably two other things. Um, you know, there was a, it was a combination of. There's no doubt that what was going on in the, uh, in the socio-political sphere had implications on people's kind of, um, just general perception of well-being, uh, general health of the industry. Uh, I think that there was concern about kind of we've we've sur we've survived. COVID-19, we're just coming out of this and now we have this to contend with. So, and I think there was also probably two other things. There was some messaging uh, questions. You know, what do we say? What does a marketer say in this environment? What's appropriate? You know, the, the word that comes up all the time is how do we not be tone deaf? How do we be appropriate in those environments? Which also just, uh, it adds friction to the market. And, and if marketers don't have the right thing to say, they're not gonna spend money. So that was, uh, I think that was it. And I think that generally, you know, you and I, talked about this afterwards, there's just some fatigue in the market. This has been a very tough time uh, overall, and uh, people are just getting a little bit um, beaten down. And I think that, you know, the, the what we had seen kind of translate in, into, you know, uh, countries, I mean, uh, cities around the world, around the globe, um, in terms of protests was kind of uh, bearing witness to that. So, um, I'm, I also think seeing, I'm also seeing something else, you know, out there, uh, which is is much more positive and, and, and very different. Um, uh, we were on the phone with a uh, with our, our fellow trade association heads, um, and the the head I'm going to leave it unnamed of one of the uh, the world's largest advertisers, and um, we had convened the call to talk about the future of television, as yep. you know. Yep. Uh, but the uh, the advertising executive uh said uh i want to hijack this call to talk about how we stop racism and i thought the language was really important because he didn't use the language of diversity and inclusion yep. he used a much stronger term how do we contribute to ending racism um and that's another thing i'm hearing in our industry in our member companies as well. And to me, this is very, very, very powerful that um, we're not clearly not walking away from diversity and inclusion initiatives, but we're, in addition to those, we are saying there, there are other big things we need to deal with. And by the way, you know, one of them, which is the politics of contributing to an end to institutional racism. And then saying, and on top of that, how do we take this moment in time around our uh, DNI initiatives and make them stick and not backslide? How do we make this serious, not just right now, but a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now? And that to me seems to be a wave that's taking place in our industry and across American business and industry that seems fundamentally different than what we've heard in the past. Totally agree. Uh, I think that diversity and inclusion, which has existed for um, a long, long time, um, you know, inclusion is a, a, words matter, right? Inclusion is a very passive word. Uh, it's very kind of, uh, it's not as active as kind of stopping racism. And I think that we do need to become, uh, just as, a, uh, as an industry and as a people, more active in our pursuit of uh, of these topics. You know, as you said, uh, unfortunately, throughout the past, uh, let's say, two decades, there have been uh, incidents that have happened. Uh, the industry responds and then they go back onto their merry way and they go back to their passive kind of DNI initiatives and 
do their mandatory uh, training once a year. And we need to move beyond that. You know, one, one of the things um, that this person also said that we talked to is that we need to just look inside our house, right? What, how are we doing as a advertising and marketing ecosystem at um, stop talking and more doing? And I think, I think, you know, one could only hope that what is going on now uh, in the marketplace is going to be, is going to have some staying power, is going to have some, uh, some longevity to it. Because I think that people are, um, are, are fed up with the talk and just want us to, to act. I mean, as a case in point, I had, uh, you know, the IAB in the grand scheme of things is a relatively small organization, but I had uh, our head of HR just do a, an assessment at this point in time, what is the complexion of our population relative to uh, the U.S. Census. Where are we over-indexing? Where are we under-indexing? It was very interesting, but it's a point in time, and we have to hold ourselves collectively accountable, I think, to being able to um, to move that uh, over time. So in six months from now, we can't be sliding back. We have to just be moving forward. Um, One of the things that, that we're doing, um, and I want our audience to know about this because we're actively looking for others to, uh, to uh, join the bandwagon, uh, is promoting uh, the change equity movement. Yep. And, uh, change equity is the idea of officially and formally giving your teams, in our case, we're doing it with the entire staff, paid time off to work on political and social change movements of their choice. So we're not dictating you know, what they need to work on. What we're doing is giving them actual time in this case, it's two days per month from now through November to work on any political or social movement that they choose. And we calculated, the math is pretty straightforward on this. We have about 70 people in IEB, give them two days of PTO per month to work, explicitly work on something of their choice. That's 840 days that's unleashed into the marketplace, 840 days of people power or change equity. I kind of use them. Uh, yep. interchangeably. You know, there are 261 working days in a year. So if you do the math, that's the equivalent of having in our little company, three people working full time on uh, political and social change. If we can get 100 companies of 1000 people each doing that, that's 1.2 million days of change equity unleashed into the marketplace. That's the equivalent of a 4,600 person company working full time for positive change. So we'd love to get other companies to, uh, to follow this and do the same thing. It's completely decentralized, it's easy to implement. It's really like a, floral, a matching 401k for people's time. It's, uh, I, I loved it when we uh, conceived it. We had a lot of good internal conversations about it. Um, and hopefully we'll have others that will, uh, will join uh, join this movement, because I think that, as you said, that is an absolutely astonishing amount of impact uh, that one can have. Uh, and like you said, the barrier to entry is actually quite, um, quite low. So we're, we're being told by our overseers in the uh, <laughs> podcast out of time again. that we have to wrap started. up, but I am insisting that we, uh, that we have a, a, a final question here, uh, David. Um, What's the most interesting conversation you've had in the past week? Uh-huh. And then I will ask you the same. Um, this is going to be slightly uh, obtuse, but uh, maybe not what you expected. 
I had a kind of, one of the benefits of this uh, stay at home uh, activity is uh, kind of a rekindling of relationships with my teenage daughters, which as you can imagine, teenage years are, uh, are particularly, I remember them fondly, um, kind of difficult to navigate. So I had a conversation with my older daughter who's about to go off to college about a relationship that has been birthed uh, during coronavirus, never met this person, uh, has existed entirely on FaceTime and the kind of social norms and what one would expect in, um, what do you owe that person in a world where a relationship has never been, you've never actually physically seen them. Uh, so it's, uh, it, was a, it was just an interesting conversation and one that I was really pleased that my daughter was comfortable talking to my wife and, and I about. So I'll, I'll use that one. What about you? What was your most? Uh, 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 yours, yours is more interesting because it's more reminiscent of the, uh, the great Jimmy Stewart movie, uh, Shop Around the Corner. <laughs> Uh, uh, I think it was Shop Around the Corner, yeah, the Ernst Lubitsch movie, um, which was about distant pen pals who actually yeah. work with each other but don't know it. So, uh, so I like the idea of taking, you know, Ernst Lubitsch and uh, updating him for the era of uh, Zoom and FaceTime. For me, it was a, it was a professional conversation. I did one of our um, IED there uh, video chats uh, just yesterday. You know, we do this every day at 2 p.m with one of our board members, uh, Rajiv Gaul, who is the uh, founder, co-founder and CEO of Pubmatic, one of the top uh, programmatic uh, companies in our industry, very you know, top SSP, works with a lot of our publisher members. And Rajiv has a theory, uh, which you know I think is pretty well backed, that um, the, both uh, internet consumer traffic and advertising are going to double within just the, the next couple of years. And if I were to kind of shorthand the theory of the case, um, it's pretty supported by a lot of the research that we've done on changes in the brand and retail environment. It's basically, look, you've got millions and millions of consumers who are changing both their brand and product and service consumption habits because of quarantine, and a lot of that is going to be permanent. And they're changing their media consumption habits during this quarantine moment. Um, and those two things are going to match and really drive each other. So for example, um, we know that uh, there is vast new competition in all manner of brand categories. Our research has shown that something on the order of 70%, 710 of all consumers have taste tested new brands during quarantine and more than 50% intend to stick with one or more of those brands. Well, those brands are new advertising uh, sources. So too, you know, stores are changing. There will be fewer people going to brick and mortar stores. They will be shopping online. They'll be using stores for pickup, something called Bocus. Well, advertising to further these consumption changes that are already in progress will be a whole new category of activity. So that was, I think, the most interesting, and I thought the most positive conversation I had this week. Yeah, that sounds it. That's cool. Well, well we will have more interesting conversations over the, uh, the course of this coming week, and we will be back, David, you and I, potentially with our third co-host, Dennis Buckheim. Dennis is coming next week. Yeah, Dennis is joining. Perfect, with the IEB Tech Lab, uh, to be here on uh, IEB Real, our weekly get-together where we get real with each other, and get real on behalf of the rest of the digital advertising, marketing, and media industry. So on behalf of 
IAB President David Cohen, uh, IAB Tech Lab President Dennis Buckheim. I'm Randall Rothenberg. I'm saying goodbye from IAB Real. Please be real for the rest of this week. Goodbye.